0: You're listening to the One of us.net podcast network. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. This digital noise episode also is a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. Hungry for adventure? Then travel to a La carte, the charming land below the floating city of heavenly delight, and join the young cook ramen for her daily dose of wacky hijinks in the new series Delicious! With a cast of eccentric, strong female characters, this wonderfully illustrated comedy comic will be out in July, but you can pre-order now by clicking the banner on the page for this podcast. Get the limited hardcover first edition, plus free stickers and an art print as a gift. Wow, stickers! A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. I know it's been a hot minute, but Digital Noise is indeed back with a big list of some really crazy, some really awesome, and some not really awesome movies and television shows for us to give you the what's up about. And uh here with me to talk about them is one of my favorite people, Aaron, Papa Bear, Woodle, how are you doing?
1: Howdy, howdy. I am exhausted, mentally drained, and a little bit drunk and loopy, so this should be a fun recording. And I'm really intrigued which ones uh, you don't like, because this was a pretty successful
0: stack for me. I, I'm, I'm excited for this. Really? There's, there's like one or. Okay, so there's two of them on here I can't even say I don't like. I enjoy, but they're not good movies at all. They're terrible movies that have I'll give you charm that. to them. No one would accuse them of being good movies. (laughs) Okay, fine.
1: Fair enough. Let let me rephrase. There's none that I didn't have a good time with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So in that sense, this was a very successful list. And I think there's going to be a few surprises on here for people of things that are like, ooh, that was not on my radar. Or -hmm. things that they're like, you know, I feel like I've heard of that before, but I didn't realize it was available. Or things that have gotten unbelievably badass upgrades now that you're like, oh, shit, I have to go get one of those before they sell out. Unless they're already sold out, in which dun, case, dun, dun. Sorry. Anyway, we got a bunch of talk about, so we're just gonna get right into it. I'm not skipping anything, right? We don't do like viewer mail or invention exchange or any of that stuff. I mean,
1: we could. I got some cool inventions I could exchange with you. What do you got?
0: I, I made this black bar. <laughs> I mean, I didn't make it. It just randomly appeared, and this it was used to be I like mean, fifteen feet tall, and then we prayed and threw a bunch of like bones at it and and then it it disappeared into the future.
1: I just have this random toy from an old sixties Japanese kids show that eats money out of women's purses
0: you have the weirdest tastes, and I love you for it.
1: Damn straight. And our viewers are about to find that out, because it's coming out in this episode, let me tell you.
0: Oh, boy. All right, well, let's get started with our first one, which is definitely one of the weirdest things we're reviewing this week. And a movie that I'm always sad that hasn't been more de rigueur, de rigueur, rigueur viewing for more people. Now, I admit, if you you know, are a person who can't deal with weird or you can't deal with blood and gore and disturbing topics, which is a lot of people, I guess. But if you're someone who does like that stuff, like you like horror movies, you really should have seen 1989's Santa Sangre by now. Now, I get it. Maybe you're like Aaron and you're like, oh, is that by that guy Alejandro Jodorowsky? Yeah, I saw that movie, insert either Holy Mountain or El Topo. Holy Mountain. (laughs) I... I didn't even know what the fuck happened in that movie. It was weird and it had lots of penis in it. Okay. I mean, I, I love both those movies, but they are not for the casual viewer because there's, there are, there's a plot, but it requires a lot of deciphering to figure out what it is in both films. Uh, Santa Sangre is his. Most accessible, but also good film because he did one movie with Peter Tool that even he hates. That was with like a big company that's kind of very straightforward, and I can't recommend it. But uh, this one is like, I think his masterpiece. Quite frankly, you know. I you mean, know, i I, I it's go with his, that. It's his. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, but not at all like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I, I,
1: it feels more like a, um it's a giallo movie. It's a, oh my God, I'm blanking on the director's name. Dario Argento. This feels like Alejandro Jodorowsky mixed with a little bit of Dario Argento. And like, I, I came into this really being hesitant. I had a, I'm going to call it a bad acid trip once while watching Holy Mountain. And it, it <laughs> definitely made an impact on me. So I haven't gone back on purpose. But uh, it, this is his most narratively focused movie. Like, he, you kind of made it seem like it was a normal movie at first when we were talking about it in advance. This is still, quote unquote, in the genre of art film.
0: Yeah. Um
1: But it tells a cohesive story it, it is an interesting little murder mystery uh it's obvious who's doing it fun kills kind of movie i mean you caught
0: murder mystery it's a straight up horror film
1: true true it, it's it's a giallo <laughs> horror film where the character uh the killer wears uh delightful red nails instead of gloves and yeah well
0: i don't want to say too much about that because that like starts bringing in oh. like spoilers for people who haven't said this, seen this.
1: i thought they close up a lot i'm sorry yeah
0: yeah. Well, but, well, I mean, we can say that much, yeah. I guess, but there is a thing, Here, you're like, oh, don't spoil it for anyone else because it's so much more fun to no, discover it on your own. It is. But it starts off with, you know, both of, uh, uh, um, well, two of Jodorowsky's sons both play the same character with Axel Jodorowsky playing the older version and Adan Jadarowski playing the younger version. When we first meet him, Uh this character... Phoenix is older, and he's obviously woohoo. He's in a mental asylum. Uh, they, he's literally sitting into a a tree in a mental asylum, like inside in a of it,
1: bird's nest, dressed like Jesus, and he swings yeah. down to his cat bed. I think yeah, that was okay. when I messaged you that it was like you said this was a normal movie.
0: <laughs> I did not. <laughs> if you remember, I was like, I did not say that. I said it was his most normal film. <laughs> There's a big difference. Uh, so and, and like he eats a raw fish, and you're like, oh, he's got this tattoo of a phoenix across his chest he's kind of a crazy looking dude and clearly a crazy dude but we flashback which is the at least half the movie to his childhood and he's like maybe 10 years old he's like a child magician in a circus that his father orgo who is the ringmaster and the knife thrower for it and then his mother concha who's a trapeze artist who can do stuff hanging by her hair which according to Jadarowski. I I believe he said it was like his aunt or something in his childhood was the first person to ever actually do that. I don't know if it's true. Jodorowsky was full shit about a lot of stuff. He also
1: said he raped Dune with love. He's a weird dude He's
0: a very strange dude. And Dune is not a person. He means the movie. Never mind. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Anyway... Uh, but there's like a tattooed woman. There's all sorts of stuff. And the father's kind of clearly looking to cheat maybe with a hot big boob tattooed woman. The, the mother is part of this religious group that venerates this woman who was raped and murdered and had her arms cut off by her, her rapists slash killers. And so they've got this pool that they built that they fill with like, you know, dyed water, but they say it's her actual blood. And the church is kind of coming in to investigate because they want to, you know, people want to build stuff here. This is kind of a, A very jury rigged put together little church they've made for this saint they've, they've created. But she's like the leader of that and she's very, very intense and she's very intense about the idea of the father possibly cheating on her. Uh, Fenix has got a lot of friends though. He's got a dwarf friend named Aladdin. There's a lot of very strange clowns and he is a small elephant. Anyway, all this comes down to all that goes very, very, very bad, (laughs) like as bad as it possibly could go to the point where the stuff he experienced him drove him mad, where we go back to the present and we see that, yes, he's crazy. And because of a person who's paid to take care of the patients who are mainly people with Down syndrome to like go out and go, okay, bring them to a movie. But this person being irresponsible, he escapes and basically starts murdering women. But because his mother who is there with him, who has found him is insisting that he do it through mind control. Her her father was a hypnotist. And presumably at this point in the film, you're like, well, I guess the mother learned how to do this to him because he serves as his mother's arms, much like with the saint where she controls him and makes him murder the people. So this is the film as it is. And there's some, uh, that sounds like a lot and it is a lot. And I'm not, I'm skipping over a lot too. And there's a lot to come even after that point. This is a not, and when you say art film, most times people go, oh, that's going to be slow and dry and no. and boring. There's nothing dry or boring about Santa Sangre. So the, the only issue I had with Santa Sangre, and it's one that I have with most of
1: Jodorowsky's movies, is that there aren't really so much as characters as there are ideas and metaphors. And so it's that art film aspect to it where nobody makes real decisions where like, like a real person wouldn't do that. It's this person represents this idea, like the idea of religion corrupting or uh, the idea of the destruction of toxic masculinity. I'm pulling just random things out, but like, so they make decisions based on what stands for that. So yeah, if you're not ready for a surrealist film, this is gonna be a lot for you but if you <laughs> yeah. go in expecting a violent fun funny sexy uh horror surreal movie i think you will get a lot of fun out of this this is a great movie in that regard
0: and this is the 4k version and wow it's they gorgeous. did an Excellent job. This is a super colorful, very vibrant colored film that is just dying for a 4K release, but thought would be the last movie I could expect to see one anytime soon. And yeah, I I have the previous Blu-ray they put out of this, which looked pretty good from Severin. This completely blows that out of the water ex- as well. Uh, it's Uh This is the essential version. It comes with a beautiful, just one of those flip open into four part cases. And it comes with several discs. There's the first one, which is the, there's the 4K disc and there's the, the Blu-ray version of it here, uh, which come with an audio commentary with Jodorowsky, who is somehow still alive, and a journalist, Alan Jones. There's New Blood, which is, about 31 minutes long, and it says it's about Jodorowsky on the restoration of it, but literally he barely mentions it. And the rest of it is just him rambling, like talking about all kinds of insane shit that's ter- has a tertiary relationship to the film to that's, some degree that at points. About right. <laughs> but Jadarowski's fascinating anyway. He's one of those guys, like, you are such a weird dude. And he's always really interesting to, to listen to. Uh, there's seven and a half minutes of deleted scene, which also have commentary by Jadarowski and Jones. And the trailer, but then there is another Blu-ray disc, which is just bonus features, like packed. There's a feature length documentary about Santa Sangre, which is like, I can't, this was like one of my favorite movies when it first became available in America. I was like, I love this. This is a major discovery. Nobody was talking about it. It was one of those moments you're like, I'm the guy who found the hidden gem I get to tell everybody about. That's very exciting, very few people listen to me, unfortunately, but you know, that was back then. Uh, and I'm just, I just can't believe I live in a world where there's a 4k multi-disc version with a feature length documentary made about the movie. Uh, there's interviews with almost everyone. The producer, the cinematographer, the executive producer, the editor, the screenwriter. There's the 30th anniversary celebration in Mexico city for about 10 minutes, which has uh, red carpet appearances, Q and A's. There's uh, Goyo Cardenas spree killer. Now, this guy is talked about a little bit in that earlier bit I told you about that was supposed to be about the restoration of it. He talks about one of his influences was that he met a real life serial killer, who had murdered a whole slew of women, spent quite a while in the asylum, and then was freed. And Jadarowski just ran into him, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good now." And he had like a family of his own, and like had a decent job, and apparently it was like, "Yeah, I." I was a totally different person. I was lost in insanity and I'm not that person and I'm 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 healed. And Jadaraski spends a lot of time meditating on that idea. Can you be completely responsible for your crimes if it's not if you're that batshit insane, <laughs> you know, which this character in this film certainly is, but claims that this experience, whether or not it actually happened is kind of the responsibility, the, the sparking point for this film. There's a 2003 interview. There's a onstage Q&A. There's a short film by him called Echek. There is Simon Boswell interviews Jadorowski. Uh, there's a Simon Boswell music video, Close Your Eyes. And there's a short by Simon Boswell called Blink Jadorowski. But yeah, this is like a crazy, great set. If you are a fan of this film put out by Severin Films, Highly, highly recommended by Mr. Chris Cox.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: But we have kind of a new film that's a horror as well, that's very stylish, also kind of an art film that just came out. We reviewed it on, I believe it was our Fantastic Fest coverage, when we talked about this new movie by Jill Givard... Oh, boy. I don't know if I'm saying I apologize if I'm saying this wrong. Jill Givard-Gizian... Probably not right, but Probably not right. Yeah, probably not right. Who also wrote it with Eric Havens and Eric Stoles, not Stoltz, to be clear. Called The Stylist. Uh, this is a movie that not a lot of people know about yet outside of the sort of the horror festival circuit, but more and more people should because it is a very intense, very cool, very stylish art horror that moves along at a rapid pace, a rapid clip. And it's being put out by arrow who we know always puts together really solid sets about things. And I got to say that I watched it again, even though I just watched it a few months beforehand. I was like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to see this movie again. And I, the stylist did not let me down.
1: Yeah. I had seen it show up on streaming, a streaming network occasionally. And I thought about watching it. All I knew going in was that it was very film friendly. Um, but it tells an interesting story about dealing with intense anxiety because the main character of the movie is the killer. And you know, I think pretty much from the opening scene, like, right. yeah, yeah, she's straight up a murderer, yo. And, and so it's really about her trying to figure out how not to be insecure and how to socialize with other people it's just that her coping mechanism is to horribly scalp someone and kill them in graphic and (laughs) bloody and cringe inducing ways there was one part i think where a character gets cut in a particular way i remember freaking the fuck out actually (laughs) screamed out holy fuck no Uh, yeah it's
0: (laughs) this does i mean it's not like Drowning in gore, but it's very effectively cringy when it does do gore here. It knows exactly how to get to you. But yeah, Claire is the main character played by Najara Townsend, who is playing the same role that she did in the short that this was expanded out from. Where, yeah, she's got like this little hidden place in her house where she keeps the... The presumably treated scalps of all these women that she has murdered secretly and taken their beautiful hair that she puts on sort of like Anthony Perkins. This is another one with like shades of psycho and then kind of can pretend to be them. These yeah. people she meet who are confident and unafraid. And she's like, yes, I wish I could be that person. So she briefly <laughs> can be. But it's kind of about she slowly starts. Having a friendship with one of our long-term clients, but who's getting married, played, uh, Olivia, played by the great Brea Grant, who we've actually had on, um, we did a video deliberations of doom thing. The last time we did anything deliberations of doom where we had her as one of our guests and we talked about women currently in horror where she talks a lot about that. You can check that out on our YouTube site if you're interested. And, 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 uh, because of their friendship, she starts, having to play into expectations of what normal people are supposed to li- act like in social situations and this is where everything starts to go te- well say terribly wrong it already was going pretty wrong but where she's like okay things go from like you know i have a collection but now i'm starting to you know really not be a- as good at keeping this thing quiet <laughs> <laughs> she she has some
1: additional stresses in life is basically what you're saying <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. but like,
1: the movie does a really good job of having uh, continuously without being, as you said, explicitly gory, freaking you the fuck out. Like every single kill in this movie is skeevy in a way that messes with your mind, and it's the kind of horror that you don't see come along too often. That really is about like, let me come in and let me fuck with your head and let me like get you really involved in these people's lives before we just rip everything away. Um, I I, I loved the hell out of this movie. This is great one. This is another great yeah. pick.
0: Yeah. No, I I. It's one that I think has kind of become a new classic Agreed. right off the bat or should be. And Arrow put it out. So it looks great. It's got audio commentary by the director and by the lead actress. It's got an exclusive Blu-ray introduction by the director, who, by the way, also plays a small role in here as one of the people who gets murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah. She's the kind of punk looking chick.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually looked up her Instagram, and yeah, it's like a lot of her walking around being very punk rock. Okay. <laughs> um, there's the Invisible Woman, a uh, visual essay by Alexandra Heller Nicholas, which looks at women's labor that goes unrecognised, and linking that possibly to the phenomenon of female serial killers. There's a whole bunch of behind the scenes featurettes that adds up to over an hour. Uh, There's location scouting, which it gives parts of the script then shows them looking at those locations. There's six and a half minutes of outtakes. The original Kickstarter... Video to try and get money for the feature. There's the original short film, Stylist, The Stylist, and then another one by the same director, uh, or I'm sorry, directed by the editor of this, John Pada called Pity. There's teaser trailers and image galleries, and then of co- there's a soundtrack CD, which is cool, and a folded mini poster that come with the limited edition, uh, along with, of course, the regular insert book you expect from the Criterion of <laughs> Genre Films Arrow. So yeah, another. <laughs> Another highly recommended film on our list Absolutely. this week.
1: I know we're starting well, strong. I, th- I think we need to, I think we might need to take a turn.
0: Oh, yeah? yeah? Well, I mean, I think we should stick to horror for now, but maybe let's get back into the way back machine. The way, way back machine. <laughs> the way, way back machine. Back to the far flung year of 1976, when you weren't even a gleam in your daddy's eye yet, Aaron. Nope. My parents were racing sailboats
1: doing everything really? they could not to have me actually
0: wow well they failed clearly so mm. <laughs> at some like, point they had like 12 years of fun before i came along that's fair that's a good run yeah let's say but in 1976 a movie came out called grizzly now you may confuse this in your head with the recently talked about grizzly 2 which had appearances by a bunch of people who went on to be very big stars but then was never officially released and only just recently did they sort of edit together a cut of it so they could release it because people were like oh, look all these famous people are in here how come i can't see it anyway this is not that film this is the original directed by william girdler who norm wrote a lot of very cheap knockoff horror films uh if you will <laughs> really? some of which are some of which are a lot of fun And it's about a man-eating grizzly bear in a forest, Who, and then a drunken hunting party, and a bunch of character actors, a lot of which you will recognize, who's hunting them. It was a Jaws ripoff, no question. (laughs) Absolutely was a Jaws ripoff on multiple different levels. It's interesting, like, all the shots of the grizzly where its mouth is open and it's, like, roaring. His mouth is open because they were throwing marshmallows in his mouth. So that's how they would get him to, like yeah. open his mouth.
1: <laughs> that is fucking perfect. Oh, and then they
0: would just add in the oh foley of the, the roaring bear. Apparently, he's an adorable 11-foot grizzly bear named Teddy. <laughs> but, yeah, this is, I mean, it's a bunch of people that you like you may not know their names offhand, like Christopher George, Andrew Prine, Richard Jackal, uh, Joan McCall, but they're almost all people that when you see them, you're like, I've seen them and stuff. Especially if you're like old enough to remember like the Love Boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, so th- this is one of two schlocky animal movies we're gonna be talking about in a row. And I think that you can pretty much stop the plot description at this is a Jaws ripoff, because it is yeah. explicitly beat for beat a Jaws ripoff, like, imagine Jaws on land and without the, I guess, endearing romance and majesty that Spielberg brings. And so instead, it's just this schlocky fun movie, which I had an absolute blast with because they don't really have the ability to shoot the shoot quote unquote the shark uh in the way that Spielberg did because, you know, it's a forest. And so instead they just like have this grizzly bear randomly knock off people's body parts at the drop of a hat. And mm-hmm. so like, as you get into the movie and as the body count starts to rise, you just have repeated scenes of this grizzly bear walk up and smack someone and a head will go flying. Yeah. And, it is delightful like it it is a cacklingly fun mad time you need to get some beers and have some friends it's it's bad but it's never boring and so like it's a good time because of that and like i can't really go it's a good movie it's schlocky and it's obvious what's going to happen everyone dies who you think is going to die everyone lives who you think is going to live the plot goes exactly how i think it's going to go and it was great
0: I, I can't go with you for great, but I definitely was like, I've seen a lot of cheap Jaws knockoffs, and this is probably, it's almost certainly one of the best, mm-hmm. which is a very, very low bar. <laughs> like, there's so, so many. There's at least as many cheap Jaws knock- knockoffs from the 70s as there were cheap alien knockoffs. Oh, don't forget so- uh,
1: cheap diehard knockoffs in the 90s.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, th- but this was actually the highest performing indie film the year it came out. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people involved got more work. Uh, this Blu-ray by Severin comes with actually bonus. Uh, whoever thought Grizzly would have a bonus features release. But there's, there's a uh, a 45 minute documentary by Nightmare USA author Stephen Thrower on the career of William Giddler, the director. There you go. There's 36-minute audio interview with Giddler's business partner and friend, J. Patrick Kelly III, talking about making movies with him with lots of behind-the-scenes footage and what have you. There's a towering fury, an interview with actor Tom Urkaragi. I'm just going to go. There's an Interview with the Producer and act- Actress Joan McCall. There's a archival making-up featurette for Seven Minutes called Movie Making the Willness. There's another archival featurette called Jaws with Claws. <laughs> and and there's an audio commentary with Mondo Digital's Nathaniel Thompson and film writer Tro- Troy Howworth. And then an audio commentary with producer David Sheldon and actress Joan McCall along with radio spots and trailers. Pretty decent set overall, if this is the sort of thing that interests you. And like I said, Grizzly, it's well worth seeing if you have a taste for this type of schlock. Another film by almost all, but essentially the exact same team in many ways is (laughs) Day of the Animals, also being released by Severn. 1977, same director, reunited the stars Christopher George and Richard Jackal, as well as a couple other familiar faces along the way, but also has Leslie Nielsen as the main human bad guy in it. Uh, this is one of those eco horror ones where it's like, oh, all the animals in this mountainous area, this alpine village in Northern California are going crazy and attacking people like all of them because they were like, well, it's not Grizzly too, but how do we do that? But now it's not just a bear. It's literally every animal in the area is trying to murder people. And the higher up you are, the more dangerous it is. But of course, there's a whole group of people that are hiking who took helicopters to fly up the mountain to the top where they're bringing a several day uh, nature hike back down to the camping area. So the group of people were up there on this there's like a bickering married couple, the wealthy older lady uh, there's an anthropologist um a uh advertising executive and psychopath played by Leslie Nielsen who, like I said, is just a prick and gets goes from well, he goes from angry jerk to psychopath as it goes along yeah. uh there's a teenage couple there's a former professional football player whose career's been sidelined there's a television reporter and there 's the Native American who's just like jesus fucking christ white people the whole time and as well he should but they're the behaviors of everyone getting crazy is explained by the eco horror part where it's like oh it's because the ozone layer and this the world's being dangerously depleted and it's making and this is the part you're like no or <laughs> making animals go insane and humans are animals so like there you go it
1: calls it out
0: explicitly in the the title text that this is happening
1: because of hairspray Like like, this may happen um (laughs) and like this is b-roll the movie but it somehow actually makes it work like this is another one of those movies it's bad like it's it's not a great movie the characters aren't particularly well written um but it's a fun excuse to watch a bunch of well-crafted scenes of random care archetypes just getting absolutely eaten by random ass animals like there's dog attacks there's mountain lion attacks there's a sequence where in the course of like a minute of screen time leslie nielsen goes from i'm an asshole to i am in control and i shall rape all the women and kill all the men and it is my god-given right so quickly that I actually rewound it and was like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. Like, like there had to have been a scene missing and it glitched out <laughs> or something. <laughs> so, like, it it's just silly to beat the band. And it also ends in a way that completely invalidates everything that happens before. And kind of goes, eh, never mind. This really wasn't that big of a deal. But with all that being said, like, I had a good time. This is another one of those movies that is great fun to sit around with people who enjoy schlocky cinema. And just have some drinks make jokes at the movie and just have a good time.
0: You know, it's a bad,
1: it's a bad movie that has a good energy to it. And that's all you really need sometimes.
0: I actually like this better than Grizzly, although Grizzly is probably the slightly better made film. This is so much more absurd and kind of more fast moving that I had a lot more fun. And Leslie Nielsen's, like you said, like go from just a asshole to rapey caveman psychotic. Transfers so fast. There's actually a, de- a decent amount of gore in both films, but more in this one. And one of my favorite things ever with like a guy like you know you're like he made it finally like he's like getting it, backs into his car for some reason and it's just filled with snakes and you're like <laughs> ah! like I laughed out loud. I was like that's fucking awesome. <laughs> um There's a lot of fun to be had with this one especially, mm-hmm. but I think with both. But you also just have to have a taste for this sort of yeah, 70s stuff.
1: If you but don't, they're th- terrible.
0: There's another, uh, documentary here, which is a companion piece to the, the biography of director William Gidler on the, on Grizzly, also by Nightmare USA author Stephen Thrower. It's sort of like a, um, more of that here, but 20 minutes there's interview with actor Bobby Porter interview with actor, Andrew Stevens interview with the animal wrangler for this movie of which there's so many animals on this. Uh, that's not surprising. There's interview with actress, Linda day, George, there's an archival, Making a featurette called Day of the Animals 30 Years Later. There's an alternate opening title sequence, Something is Out There, which is only about 38 seconds. There's an audio commentary with Lee Gamblin, author of Massacred by Mother Nature, exploring the natural horror film. And an audio commentary with actors Linda Day George and John Cedar, moderated by Evil Dead 2 co-writer Scott Spiegel. That's pretty fucking cool. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on here as well to make it worth a purchase, even if you already have, like, a cheapo release of this or something. You know, if you're a person like, I want to buy all the movies I enjoy rewatching, hey, Day of the Animals and Grizzly both solidly put together Severin packages.
1: And the, the transfers are pretty good for the age of the movie. Honestly, like, Severin with this little cycle of movies is knocking it out of the park.
0: Yeah, agreed. Well, we're going to move on to a television series, but that also counts as sort of man versus nature, just in a way that it definitely never anything like this happened. You have to forgive me, I am always get a little bit like, uh, when something's like, cavemen and dinosaurs walked side by side, because they didn't by like millions of years, but you know what? This is Jendy Tartakovsky. Absolutely nothing about this pretends to be like, it could actually happen. It's more of a sort of like the fantasy stuff that you would, the pure fantasy stuff you would see in heavy metal magazine is probably what it's more influenced by here. Damn it's him. 10 episodes that came, that was on cartoon networks, late night programming block adult swim. It, I had heard it was good, this thing. I, I, in fact, um, a version of it that was, uh, that did the first four episodes called Primal Tales of Savagery. They were so confident about, it, they submitted it for best animated feature category. I mean, they were like, this is good. So I'd heard about this. It's won a bunch of awards on the side. jenny Tartakovsky is a legend who did Samurai Jack and the original Star Wars, the Clone Wars before it was CG amongst many other things. Definitely one of those few animators that I'm like, okay, if he does something, I'll eventually check it out. So me eventually checking it out is like, hey, here's the whole set on Blu-ray. And I know a second season was on the way. So I'm like, all right, let's see. I'm like, oh, wait, there's no dialogue in this? Well, no dialogue that are words. He's a caveman. He doesn't really have words, this lead character in this thing. He goes, Ah!" and (laughs) in the context of this, his family gets eaten rather graphically and horrifically by this sort of Tyrannosaurus Rexy type thing. I don't know with the giant horn. None of the dinosaurs are specifically based on exactly r- real life dinosaurs. They're sort of amalgams of things. And also, he meets up this smaller dinosaur. You know, it's like a horse-sized dinosaur. It looks kind of like a Velociraptor uh, crossed with a T-Rex whose family itself is also eaten by these same beasts, and he helps him, and they become friends eventually. (laughs) And they travel the wilderness, the wildlands of this fantasy version of ancient prehistoric Earth, dealing with some crazy fucking shit, man. (laughs) And this is one of the best animated things I have ever seen in my entire fucking life. I was glued to this thing from frame one. Like, oh my God, I, can, I'm, I, I, well, I would have rewatched it already if I, if Aaron didn't have my copy of it right now. It's so good. So A, I hate that you stole like eight of my talking points that I was going to bring up.
1: Um, <laughs> but no, like th- this is, tar- I always call him Tartovsky, but it's Tarta, Tartakovsky.
0: Oh, you could be, you could be uh, yeah. right. It, it, this, is uh, th- this is Gendy.
1: This is Gendy's newest bit in his march to progress the world of animation forward and you can see this narrative he's been building about himself starting on dexter and kind of cutting his teeth initially and moving into samurai jack which does a lot of experimentation with dialog sections communicating storytelling entirely through the visual medium and like I was one of the people who I knew this was coming in advance. I was ready for it. I fucking watched every episode the second I could. Um, At least for the first half, I didn't even know I could get the second half when you gave me this set, and I screamed like a little girl. (laughs) Made me very happy. But like, this is one of the single best pieces of animation I've seen in a long time. Um, They use really simplistic animation styles mixed with good sound design and good detail work and the environment to make like a truly awesome Conan esque heavy metal tale. Like if you, if you dig Conan, if you dig heavy metal esque stories, this is going to be amazing. And you are going to love this. The only thing I will caution is that this is very much an R rated animation. Uh, it, it right out of the gate is going to have any dad crying as you get to watch the yeah. families get killed horribly. And blood is very much the thing of this. If there's anything in this show that remotely revolves blood, it's going to be 10 times the volume as normal and it's going to be in slow motion. And it's yeah. going to be fucking beautiful beyond any measure you can have.
0: Yeah, um, brutally violent. No so, question. So Just- like,
1: no kids. When I was watching this for yeah. a review, I had, uh, my parents were visiting and they, asked me if i was watching that for my son to see and i was like no he will he will actually never get to see this he's too young because it'll be too old by the time he's old enough to see it but um yeah it it, anyone who digs animation anyone who digs heavy metal anyone who digs digs weird fantasy horror should watch this because they nail the tone of all of that
0: i can't Uh, wait for season two Completely engaging. You're just so with it. And like I said, there's, there's one word that is, I mean, it's a proper noun. So it doesn't even technically count as English per se, but one noun that's a, a understandable thing that someone says in this. Everything else is just grunting and growling. Yeah. And yet you understand constantly everything that's happening. It's so beautifully, you know, shot the choices of the way he shoots things and nobody does action like Jendi. Man, nobody can really relate the coolness of action like him. So whenever there's action, which is a lot, because this guy is like almost a superhero. (laughs) He's like badass Conan caveman guy. It looks so cool. I would recommend this to anybody who's not a little squeamish or too young. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, Primal fucking knocks it out of the goddamn park. There are... God, how many episodes is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten episodes and more on the way very soon. 10 episodes with this particular Blu-ray set, which also comes with a digital code. Uh, the quality, of course, looks terrific. The only problem and the only reason why this isn't going to make my best of the week is because there's only this one behind the scenes featurette for 10 minutes and that's it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Really? Because this deserves hours of people like talking about it and dissecting it and trying to figure out why it's as amazing as it is. The only interest and that featurette, it's okay. But the interesting part is the interview, the, the French people who they brought in to animate it, these two French people were like, yeah, he tried to bring it to other places and nobody got what he was doing. And they're like the ones like, it's Gendy, we'll do whatever he fucking wants. <laughs> <laughs> and they got it. And it's like kind of there about them getting it, but it's not a lot. So eh, sad, but you know, it's still, if you haven't seen this, I don't know what your access levels are, but know that you can pick it up on Blu-ray. And if you do purchase it, you will never be upset that you purchased it. You will go back and rewatch it. For sure. Now, I saw a TV show you did not get to see, or I saw part of a TV show you didn't get to see, because they sent me all five seasons of the French show, The Bureau, or I don't know, Le Bureau. <laughs> it's Le Bureau <laughs> des de, de Legends. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. I don't actually speak French. Uh, Je t'aime, Chris. That's about all I know. V- hey, Aaron. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? I went know Spanish, so see. Si. <laughs> <laughs> It means, will you go to bed with me tonight? (laughs) You don't know that from the song, Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? No, I know. That's why I said yes. I mean. Oh, okay. Fair. Okay. I just want to make sure we're, we're set. You're you're (laughs) down in a sense. That's for sure. Anyway, the reason I even asked for this, despite it being, you know, five seasons, which is a lot to say yes to, is that it's won a shit ton of awards for every single season, uh, across the board praise. A lot, I've heard some people say this is kind of the wire of France. It's not like that plot at all, but the sense that it's so incredibly well-made, acted plotted that it's like one of the best shows ever to come out of France. I'm like, okay, I kind of want to see that. And it's about their sort of secret service, uh, the directorate general for Ex- external security. And it's based on real stories, apparently, which they took pieces of them and sort of combined stuff together. So it's not exactly the stories, how they played out, but it said that almost everything in here really happened in a way. Maybe it was in a different place. The names are changed, what have you, but it follows an intelligence officer, uh, Debali, who, uh, everyone, a lot of people call Mallow because that was like his nickname. And he's just come back to Paris after being six years undercover in Damascus. He has to reconnect with his daughter, his ex-wife, his colleagues, his boss, who kind of, has a kind of has a, my dick feels small whenever this guy is around like thing going on and is looking for ways to undercut him. I mean, he's not a bad guy, but he's like insecure because he's never been one of the dudes who got to go undercover. He's just a guy who works in the office and this guy, everyone's like, man, this guy's a badass. They all love him. You know, like this, his boss's boss just loves him, but returning gets hard when the girl that he was seeing, we see in the beginning, Nadja, who he was, you know, not supposed to be, but clearly was actually falling in love with is now come to Paris. And now they're starting to have an affair in Paris. And the question starts happening. Wait a minute. That's weird. Isn't it like that? She would come to Paris when, yeah, maybe she's working for someone else is kind of the plot of the first season. And I'm not going to say what happens there, but it is really interesting the way all that plays out and not what you really expect. But he finds himself having to, for the first time ever, this guy has been intensely loyal to France and to his agency, having to bend the rules, kind of, because he doesn't want to stop seeing this girl. And it really does involve this huge amount of characters. There's a lot of characters in this thing. Matthew Kasovitz, you've definitely seen in in other things and movies. He's been in American movies as well, plays the lead role. But there's a lot of different people who work for this agency, and it kind of follows all of them with their there's like at any given time like five different storylines going on as everybody's got their own thing and missions and what's hap- happening and they all to some degree intertwine in and out but yeah i got about two seasons through this and was like this is really good and i think for like i said people who like the more serious spy stuff you know i mean I thought this was a lot more exciting than something like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I still don't see why people love as much as they do. I love that movie. I know. I was about I found to it, compare it. <laughs> I found it way too dry for my taste. And maybe I, I was in – I've only tried it the once. I never went back and watched it again. Maybe I'd like it if I tried it again. But The Bureau is definitely grown-up sp- spy programming. its It's not – There's not a lot of car chases or shootouts or things like that. A lot of it is like it's espionage in the way espionage actually is. (laughs) And I found it super interesting. So it is actually all available on Amazon Prime right now. I mean, I doubt it'll stick on there forever. But if you do want to pick it up and buy the DVD, the complete series, you can get it on DVD right now. And I... I'm going to keep watching it and watch through the whole thing because it's definitely after you get through the first two episodes, which are like, Jesus Christ, there's so many fucking characters. I can't keep track of who's who. And once you're like, okay, now I know who's who it's a you're really grabbed and like, okay, now I'm really into this. So this is a show for probably most of the people listening's dads. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'm of that age, so I liked it. Uh, another thing, and I won't talk about this at lunch because we reviewed this already online, is the 15th season of Supernatural has come out now on Blu-ray, and it really was unlike a lot of final seasons of shows, especially shows that went on for, uh, oh my god, 15 seasons. I believe they claim it's the longest running continuous genre show. I'm not sure that's actually true, but uh, this packs all of those episodes, which didn't play out exactly how they originally planned because of covid there was a gigantic break in the middle of the season like you know much longer than there normally would be because they were like well we don't have any more episodes because covid happened and we can't film them but even when they got back the second half is a different slightly more spare look to it because they were still having to observe covid rules had to rewrite the plot to some extent i think overall it worked out pretty well overall with the season i i very satisfied i'm largely satisfied with the end which is very sad um you know sad but happy if you will it's it's definitely it has a feeling of that um 6 feet under like and here's what happened to everybody as they grew old type of ending like oh that always gets to me
1: now that it's done i finally have to sit down and watch what happens after season 5 when they originally planned to end oh, it yeah. cuz i got to there and then i kind of just stopped and See, i've all never the best- seen in between
0: all the best meta episodes happen after season 5 and those are my favorite episodes. I'd safely say my single favorite top 5 Supernatural episodes are almost all past season 5 because I love I love when they play around with that meta stuff, which eventually the subtext kind of became the text in the last couple <laughs> seasons in a weird way. I don't know. But yeah, I do think if if you've never watched it all, it is well worth watching. The Blu-ray sets tend to be good but not essential because they're like okay, it's a bunch of EPK uh, extra features, but all the deleted scenes for everything. They throw in as much as they have. There's always a good gag reel. This is no exception. There's 15 minutes of gag reel, but they did make a point because this was the final season of putting together a little bit more than they usually do. So the EPKs are longer, if you will, more intensely into it. Like the end of the road for 30 minutes is made me cry I watching it because they're all crying in it and they're all very, very sad that it was coming to an end. And there's Supernatural Family Don't End With Blood, which is also the name of a book they published on the side, which is really about how the the actors have gotten to be, and the crew have gotten to be real-life friends and, you know, do stuff with their families together because they've been working together for so fucking long that they all know each other that well. There's the Winchester's mythology, Midwestern heroes, which look at The quote, Route 66 meets the X-Files narrative tone to this thing. There's Supernatural, The Long Road Home, which reflects back on the fact that it was 15 seasons and a lot of the notes that it hit plot wise along the way. There's the 2019 comic book panel and there's Winning Baby, which is the car, the iconic car in here. They actually gave it away at Comic-Con in a contest. And the person who won it was cool enough. This woman who like had been forced to sell her own car because she had cancer. Uh, that she was like, she just couldn't afford it. She had to do anything she could to come up with money. So she was like stuck to taking the bus and going back and forth, still working full time. And her getting a, this car was like a godsend. So Aww. it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Of course you're like, how did you get to Comic-Con? This whole thing smells of a setup. If you ask me. She but- took
1: the bus, Chris. She took the bus.
0: <laughs> I, I know, but comic Con's not cheap is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Something smells here. I don't, I don't care. Anyway, but that's Supernatural. Well, now move on to stuff you saw as well. Sticking with the weird shit, we're going to talk about a little movie called Happily. This was reviewed uh, with Screener Squad here on the site. I was not on this review, so I didn't see it till this DVD slash Blu-ray release of this comedy thriller film. I would say comedy thriller sci-fi film, quite frankly. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's uh, a little bit sci-fi. That, that applies.
0: Joel McHale from Community, amongst other things, and uh, Carrie Bechet Uh, From Halt and Catch Fire, Scrubs, other things. They play a married couple. They're deliriously happy. They have sex all the time. They've been married for like 15 years. So you're like, are they aliens? Well, I mean, that's what I think most reasonable people would ask. Although most reasonable people wouldn't be mad at them for being that happy in this movie called Happily. But their friends are at the point where like, we don't even like them. Because they've been married too long to still be this fucking, like, grab-happy with each other and constantly, deliriously enjoy, And they kind of confront them about it. But then they go, they get this stranger, played by Steven Root, shows up. And goes, here's the deal. There's been a mistake. You weren't supposed to continue to feel this way. Uh, and it's not normal. And you will never have real friends or real life until we fix this. So we're going to need both of y'all to take this shot and it'll turn you into a normal couple. And they're so upset, they end up not really accidentally killing him. And are like, oh, shit, what do we do? He's like, well, we don't want to end this relationship. I love this. I'm so happy. We're going to hide this body and try and pretend this never happened. This mysterious stranger who showed up. Meanwhile, they get invited, kind of half backwards invited to these friends who have already told them they're not really happy with them to a gathering at an Airbnb, which is a very strange house. And as they're there. Shit starts to happen, and they start to question the loyalty of their friends. Played by Natalie Zia, who's the one who, who's running it, Paul shear, Natalie Morales, uh John Daly, uh, Kirby Howell-Baptiste, Bast- uh, who apparently is turning into a huge star right now, Charlene Yi a- and uh, Brecken Meyer. Oh, and I'm sorry, Shannon Woodward as well. So, I didn't know. This felt like a... A light comedy mystery, but it really gets weird towards the end of this thing where I was like, when it was over, I couldn't decide if I actually liked it or not. But I will say in terms of plot, but I will say the performances and the chemistry between this cast are exceptional and exceptionally well done. If you're expecting just a light comedy, this is not that it gets its interpersonal relationships get very dark and upsetting and and definitely deal with some dark subject matter as it goes on it's not what you would expect a movie called happily <laughs> to turn out like
1: so like, it, it's one of those movies that's very much taking a look at like this is a new take or not a new take but a new way to look at our modern day relationships and like how they progress and how we feel and act towards each other mm-hmm. i give it props for giving us a message that is different from we get in like every other example of this kind of movie. It's not just a, yay, we all kind of hate each other. It never goes there. But I also don't think it ever really fully delivers on the premise it sets up. It sets up some interesting ideas. It has some cool sequences. I dug it when it got weird. And I kind of wish it had kept going. Like, given us another 10 minutes where it escalated a bit more and tied up its message in a bow so it kind of delivered it effectively. As it is, there's a lot here that I enjoyed. I think if you like more heady, kind of. In indie sci-fi dramas with a touch of horror to them. I think you'll enjoy it, but it's okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, Decent. I think it it really gets fascinating when it's in the third act, goes yeah. back to the little touch of weird that was going on earlier and starts diving deep into it. Yeah. And then it just kind of backs away from it. Exactly. And th- instead of having a proper ending, it just goes, well, I, I don't want to know. And, and then there's still more film. And you're like, wait, what is... This is weird. I mean, not weird that it's not. It's weird that it's not weird. Yeah. It just goes not with a rational explanation. There's just no explanation. And like, I, I, I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even need a rational
1: one. I was convinced it was some adjustment bureau thing that they were going to half reference. But like, it would have been nice if they had any kind of way to cohesively go like, no, this is kind of what we're trying to say here instead of just stopping.
0: And this has got not a lot extra as a digital copy and then an audio commentary with writer-director Ben David Grabinski. It is one of those films is like an almost-ran. Like, there's a yeah. lot of interesting stuff here, but it, the script... He desperately needed to give it to more of his friends first and go, what do you think? What is there anything I should fix here? Because they would have said, yes, there's a lot of stuff that needs fixing here. There's a lot of great stuff here, but this ain't done. (laughs) You can't just walk away from a story when you don't even know what the the point of it is. Yeah, exactly. I I don't. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll go on to what is considered one of the greatest movie musicals ever set to film, and I know this because they re-release it every chance they get. It's kind of the white album of musical movies, My Fair Lady, now Paramount putting it in in a 4K and then Blu-ray mixed set with a digital copy as well. I gotta admit, I'm actually also a big fan of My Fair Lady, which is based on George Bernard Shaw's 1913 stage play Pygmalion, but so are about a hundred other movies and 5,000 episodes of television. Audrey Hepburn plays Eliza Doolittle, who's a, a streetwise urchin, who's like, that's me doing a bad streetwise urchin accent. I guess I could just do Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, d- it's a d- jolly d- holiday with Eliza and Rex Harrison as Henry Higgins, who with the alliterative name, who is a very arrogant scientist, who presumably is gay. All he's coded as gay in a way for the period of time when this came out in 1964, but not by modern standards. Like he's not sashaying around or something, but it's there. Oh, dude, you don't have to look really I, hard. I was for convinced
1: it. the whole way through. It was like, oh, he is clearly gay, and he just. Like he just has developed a loathing for women because of his experiences over the years.
0: Yeah, which... he doesn't. He doesn't care for w- women, but he boasts he could teach even this woman that he met out on the street, Eliza Doolittle, uh, who's a flower seller woman with huge Cockney accent, that he could teach her to speech and act so well that she, people would believe she was a princess. And this becomes a challenge with him and one of his friends. You know, uh, you know, one dollar, which also trading places based on this to some extent. And she ends up showing up at his house looking for lessons and goes, okay, so he starts teaching her how to do all this. And there's lots of big songs, many of which have even on their own gone on to their own level of fame of the music in here. Most probably most famous is The Rain in Spain, which has had a billion satires of it out there as well as just being covered by people. And then I Could Have Danced All Night, also very, very big. Anyway, obviously, despite... There's issues between the two of them, battles between the two of them. Uh, there's a love affair happening with someone else almost entirely disconnected from this that never goes anywhere at all, which I felt like is the one part of this film you probably could have left out entirely. You're like, I, I feel like in the original version of this play, that was, had more service, but it's a movie. And even though it's still like three some hours long, I'm feeling the original musical was even longer, the stage musical. So, you know we we kind of shuffled that off to the side maybe it was because they wanted more insinuations in a movie version that maybe henry higgins is sexually interested in her if so it never is specific about that on screen either in word or visual well, it,
1: she even explicitly states in the towards the end that like
0: yeah i am want to be your friend we're friends mm-hmm. and like that's it and I love this musical. I think it's got some of the greatest songs of any musical ever. There's some, obviously from anything this old, that's got uh, these type of class themes in it. There's going to be stuff that by today's standards is a little squicky, but not too bad. You know, I I didn't think it was overboard. I see some stuff like this. You're like, geez, like (laughs) embarrassed that this was ever our country. But like, I didn't really have that problem overall here. Um, and it's just kind of delightful. The one thing that always upsets me, because Audrey Hepburn really was a good singer, but the director just didn't like the way her voice sounded, so he hired someone else after the fact, and apparently she didn't even know they were doing this, to dub in and sing her songs for her, which is, you know, I think kind of trashy thing to do. But it is uh, directed uh, by George Cukor, is one of the great American directors worked at RKO and it won eight Academy awards and it was the American film Institute is named it the 91st greatest American film of all time. And it's eighth on AFI's greatest movie musicals list. And the, the, the short way of saying this is if you haven't seen my fair lady yet, you probably should see my fair lady. <laughs> I, so I'm going to come in and
1: alienate anyone who likes me on the set right now. Um, so I thought this was okay. I didn't actually <laughs> like the movie very much. Um, I think the songs mm-hmm. were really interesting. Um, it, it wasn't so much the sexism, which, like, it's there, but it it tends to feel in most scenes like it's acknowledging the sexism and, like, the sexism is a point. Like, mm-hmm. like there's a sequence where um, she goes out and successfully does the thing and passes off as somebody and... Afterwards, there's this huge sequence where everyone basically just like completely ignores her. And it makes perfect sense given kind of the sexist film industry at the time. But also, that's kind of the major impetus for the last act of the movie. Um, the, The problem I ended up having is that the lead, he's kind of just an asshole. And he never really learns a real lesson to me in this movie. Like, he kind of does a little bit in the last five minutes of the movie. But that's three hours of movie that I kind of had to suffer through with a character I didn't really enjoy that much and i i had an issue with the running time and and this is the part that i'm truly going to alienate everyone is that i spent most of this movie wishing i was watching the king's speech which is a <laughs> weird ass feeling to have <laughs> cuz it's so, covers so much of the same grounds like having said that like that's that a lot of that comes down to my personal taste in this. I, uh, this mm-hmm. movie, I would have far preferred this movie if they lost a good hour to an hour and a half of this. And you could easily do that and maintain the story and it would be tighter. And so, like, I, it ended up just being like, you're a little too long. I don't really like half the characters and it's a little sexist. So it's, it's okay. Having said that, I get why it's been so influential. Like, it's just that I've, I've seen a lot of movies that have taken the lessons learned from this and turned those into better stuff. So there I've alienated everyone.
0: I really think that if there was a way, I mean, you know, eventually probably in the next 20 years, they're going to have CG so good that we could go, we're going to scan these characters in these movie and their voices. And we want to film a whole nother scene that was never set to film and new song where she at the end goes, look, I know you're gay. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I mean, do you have to hate woman because of it? Can't you make peace of him going, Oh my God, I am gay. I don't really hate woman. It's just this confusion based on the time and make it into a song. And then he goes, I can't believe how terribly I've treated you because of this, because of my own sense of denial. That would have like fixed everything, I, I, right? I, honestly, <laughs> you're,
1: I don't need him to accept that he's gay, which you're right. He clearly is. I, I needed him to. I needed him to come to some kind of terms with the fact that he's a giant gaping asshole to every single yeah. human being alive. Which is not me saying
0: men. that, which is definitely not me saying that gay men hate women because no. clearly that's not true. But yeah, in this, this guy's gay, clearly gay and he clearly hates women. So it's like you could tie those together and yeah. fix the problem of him hating women it, by it, doing that scene.
1: And honestly, giving him a character arc like that would actually fix the movie for me.
0: It's true. Uh, this is a spectacular 4K transfer. Literally yeah. one of the best I've ever seen. The, they just—it's as close to perfect as you can get with just something that pops off the screen with the colors and the texture and the blacks and everything. It really, really is great, and is the one I could see if there still were electronic stores that were coming, they would be playing as display models on the TVs there. Unfortunately, the bonus features are exactly the same on the previously released 50th anniversary edition Blu from 2015, which were great, and there's a dedicated Blu-ray disc separately here as well with them. Uh, There are no extras on the 4K disc, but like I said, it comes with that Blu-ray. And yeah, it's 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 a solid set if you don't have that version, but even if you do and you want just the best looking version, this is by far an upgrade on that level. We're going to move on and talk about another 4K that I didn't give you to rewatch, but I know you saw it. So I was like, okay, you can talk about Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs>
1: oh I my know God. you've
0: seen it like five times. Right?
1: I've seen it th- three times. Um, three times. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. Close enough. Godzilla versus Kong is the newest continuation of the American monster verse. Um, it's the first one since, I guess, King of the Monsters to be back into the modern world, simply like, gotten over our kong flashback Uh, and basically it tells the story of king kong himself uh the storm that ravaged skull island that surrounded it has now fully covered it and so king kong is living in a dome being watched by monarch uh just kind of fucking around trying to figure out what's going on with his world and very depressed and at the same time, an American court or an international corporation is starting to work on something, hint, hint, mystery, that we don't know what, that is pissing Godzilla the hell off. And so all at once we have Godzilla randomly becoming an evil bad guy in a movie universe where he's been mostly a good guy. Thank God this is happening again. And we end up having Kong's origin come up where he is the ruler of the interior universe of earth and they have to get kong to the interior universe and i'm going into this and it makes no sense and it really doesn't matter because godzilla versus kong is a giant roller coaster action movie it is Mm -hmm. second one to the ending credits a balls to the wall action sequence there is thin veneer of sci-fi that lays over it like people have hovercrafts and there's a hollow Earth. And there's gravity inversions. Really, it's very much the 90s Heisei Godzilla film universe. But kind of pulled over with the modern American sensibilities. And I kind of loved it. Like, it's a big, dumb movie. And it makes a lot of stupid assumptions. Uh, and a lot of stupid decisions. Like pouring liquid on a computer will somehow magically have it do <laughs> all the things you want it to do. But if you can look past those lazy uh, screenwriting tips, like the actual characters are fun. King Kong, who is the main character of a movie has a really interesting, cool arc. Godzilla is treated really well. And like, this is a massive upgrade from Godzilla King of the monsters who.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I have really mixed feelings about that as a Godzilla fan.
0: Look, and- I, I, I'm not going to go into details about like how I felt about the thing. Cause I was on the review for this one, which you can look up on the website itself on, you can just, search Godzilla versus Kong. And it'll pop right up for screener squad. We do a very in-depth uh, an- analysis of this film there. Uh, I, this is my favorite of the legendary Godzilla. films. Agreed I, I love the shit out of this. It also raises, and which would be an interesting topic for someone else to do on a podcast, which is the most divisive thing about movies today, big, dumb, awesome, or lame, because everybody has those movies that are huge, expensive, Dumb as shit, but they totally love anyway, and they like to talk about it. And other people have ones that are the the feel about the same movies, big dumb, absolutely hateful. Like for me, Godzilla vs. Kong, and some of the Fast and the Furious are like the the pod. Like wow, I love them so much. I know they're dumb, but it's good. They know they know they're dumb, and they're doing it right because you can do dumb, and that's perfect. Yeah. It should be dumb. I think the problem with the previous Godzilla films is they weren't dumb enough. Oh. They were dumb in bad writing. They were not dumb in plotting. They, the plot should have been more ridiculous and absurd for them to work. This ab- absorbs a lot of the latter day, not even latter day, like third and going on Godzilla films from the original Japanese series and goes, oh yeah, they got into really stupid sci-fi and ridiculous situations and it worked, but it worked really well sometimes. And this is like, yeah, uh, director Adam Wingard's like, let's do that. But, like, for instance, Army of the Dead is big, expensive, stupid, and I fucking despise it. Oh, and I, I give Army you a litany of, of reasons for why, but I'm not going to do that here. We, but,
1: we'll talk off camera on why Army of the Dead is actually good. Um, we will yeah, not. I, I think <laughs> – so here's what does it. And so where King of the Monsters failed um, is the characters. And it's where the original American Godzilla failed, too. American Godzilla has boring characters who don't make any interesting choices, who survive through the movie – king of the monsters has a bunch of characters who make reprehensible horrible decisions and they want you to feel like they're heroic and this is the first one where even though the movie is dumb and there are elements that are dumb the characters all feel real i even love that the there's this corporate espionage companies are evil thread that flows through the entire movie where like ultimately the movie is actually I think pro corporation even though they cause a lot of the destruction at the end and it's actually just we, we need more government regulation in in the world <laughs> but uh, um like I, I i like the decisions they made i like the character work and it's got king kong in it i want a fucking king kong movie now is what it is that's the issue is now we've had three movies that have godzilla as a main central focus we have him back to being this chaotic force of terror that's sometimes good and sometimes bad Give us a straight up King Kong movie that doesn't involve Godzilla or give us like some new
0: kaiju. I want to see more of that. There was Kong Skull Island. I know. I want to see another one. Oh, I see. Okay. You're like, (laughs) no, but more of that, please. I am actually more of a Kong guy than I am a Godzilla guy overall. I mean, that's no diss on Godzilla. I just am more of a Kong guy. And this is the movie made for people who are more of the Kong guys Mm -hmm. because it's definitely Kong is the main of the two kaiju here that is explored. Anyway, we talked about this as length on the thing. This is the 4K, also comes with the Blu-ray. All the bonus features are on the Blu-ray, so if you're just if you not getting the 4K set, you're just getting the Blu-ray, all that will be there. There's a really good audio commentary with director Adam Wingard, which he is a really nice guy. I've done interviews with him in the past and he's fun to talk to, and this is a really fun, engaging feature-length track here where he's like trivia, production stories. It's good. Uh, there's a series of EPKs about Godzilla. There's a series of EPKs about King Kong. There's a piece about Mechagodzilla. Oh, spoiler, the Mechagodzilla appears in this. See,
1: I was dancing around (laughs) that shit the whole time.
0: (laughs) Uh, They did show him in the trailer, to be fair. And there's three more featurette that look specifically at the three big battles between the two titans of the title here that happen. And I think they're the best battles by far in any Godzilla movie or Kong movie. They are really well shot, really well planned. And super fun. Aaron's giving me that face that I can't tell if he's like having a stroke or if he wildly disagrees with me.
1: I'll agree. They're the best in the American Godzilla franchise. I think th- they're the th- there best across are some the some others that are better.
0: But I've, I've, I've seen five, them all too. I'd like to point out, I'm not uneducated on this topic. I've seen them all <laughs> once admittedly, and you've seen them many times. But the, for me, I'm like, this is as good as it's ever gotten. Uh, and But i also not as big a fan of kaiju stuff as you are. so. I probably will never rewatch the Japanese ones. <laughs> oh, and anyway, let's move on to our final titles. And I say titles, cause even though this is one set, it's got four movies in it. That is Indiana Jones, the four movie 4k collection. My only real complaint about this, uh, you know, which is not specific criticisms of any, any, of the given films inside this four movie collection is that it's a really shitty package it's just like shoved into a cheap cardboard box. I mean, the Blu-ray set was really nice and cool. This is just a flimsy, barely covering it, like collection to shove the thing into, um, into the outer slip box with, uh, staggered formation plastic pin things to put it on with one bonus disc and the bonus disc is just everything that came with the previous set and nothing more. Uh, It's just the, the 2012 release. And you're like, really for 4k of one of the most famous and beloved series of all time. You're not going to, Oh, they will. They'll just do it later. And so you double dip and you buy it again. So if you're like, I want these on 4k and i got to say, it's a really, really good 4k transfer. They look and sound terrific. These will be re-released in a much better version when the next Indiana Jones movie comes out. (laughs) For sure. I have no, which will no question be the last Harrison Ford Indiana Jones film, unless the someone give, he finds the fountain of the youth in the fifth one, but like for real. (laughs) But I am a big fan of the Indiana Jones movie. I think even movies, I think even the weakest one, which I think we all know what that is, is still eminently rewatchable and it's Yeah, it's got so much fun stuff in it that it kind of makes up for some of the stuff being incredibly stupid and bad, which it does have that stuff as well. But so does temple of doom. I'll say this or kingdom of the crystal skull over temple of doom. At least it's not fucking racist as shit. Like temple of doom is. I I, I have to shameful confession time.
1: Temple of doom was my first Indiana Jones movie as a kid. And Mm. it's the one that like, whenever I think Indiana Jones, it's what I go back to in my head. And the one that I kind of enjoy the most because of that even though let's have no qualms it is racist and sexist as shit it it is so offensive
0: embarrassingly so on both counts
1: and and like but it's fun it it's still fun though every indiana jones movie tells a different kind of pulpy 30s adventure tale and unfortunately like this is such a white guy in the eighties thing to do. Like it makes sense. Their characterizations based on kind of where they were going to for inspiration. It's just, they shouldn't have. Um, mm. But like, I, I like it's pulpy, weird uh, jungle adventure. I enjoy the, uh, the one with uh, the last kingdom. That was, that was actually really good. Although it might be my least favorite, not the last kingdom um, The kingdom of
0: the crystal skull. No, the third one the last crusade The last
1: crusade uh they recolor kingdom of the crystal skull so it looks a little bit more like the indiana jones color palette um Hmm. i saw a lot of things online talking about like how they shifted the color grade to make it a little less hyper saturated and green as it was before although i still think its biggest flaw is that they never really decided how to handle the fact that indiana jones was old and spielberg clearly didn't know really how to use cg yet he hadn't gotten yeah. entirely comfortable but like these are all great movies uh they're phenomenal front to back i love them all just some of them are, are weaker
0: yeah you know i i know that kingdom of the crystal school has become like the kicking boy for the internet for example of anything that's bad it really isn't that it's bad not. of a film it just has some cringeworthy as fuck bad moments but That's this whole, any generation of younger people, there's one thing that you hate in a movie and therefore everything about it sucks and it's the worst thing that ever made. Like, oh my God, get over yourself. Like, (laughs) It drives me up the wall. I'm like, there's so many movies that make this look like Citizen Kane. Oh yeah, I forgot. You've also decided Citizen Kane isn't a good movie. Young people, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Shut up, Aaron.
1: Citizen Kane is a great movie that's not always fun to watch okay Um, that's but no you're you're right kingdom of the crystal skull isn't half of the piece of shit that it's hallmarked as it just has some weird scripting moments and some mm, really shoddy cg and about 10 seconds of monkey action that should be entirely cut out and deleted and burned and forgotten that they exist yeah totally and And, then like it'd be 10 times the movie
0: (laughs) And weirdly, I know people complain about, you know, the Bane plot device. I'm like, to me, it's the most plausible of any of (laughs) those. I'm like, the others are like Christian magic and then question mark indian tribal mag- magic so magic and this is actually sci-fi where it's like yeah aliens visited the planet at one point i'm like okay i don't believe that either but i find that well, way more plausible it, than than like god wrath magic
1: it was just the new type of pulp fiction that they were putting indiana jones into the real yeah. problem is that they have um the care they have his son character so that they can have that passing of the torch where indiana jones is older and can't do things things anymore and it doesn't work as well instead of passing the torch they just kind of have indiana jones do the same old shit but now he's crotchety and his son's just there like i I think if they had actually made part of the story about him having to accept his age and go like yeah i can't jump off of a moving car into a train and beat up a nazi or a russian communist Like, like he just can't do that
0: as much anymore it would have been a much better movie and i'm hoping the new one does that The fact they set up, you know, Shia LaBeouf, who I I don't hate, I think he's actually a halfway decent actor and sometimes a really good actor, but just kind of a train wreck in real life. That as a character, Mutt Williams, you know, once again, named after a dog, you know, you get the joke. There's a lot of obvious humor like that Um, when it is revealed, oh, they're actually father and son. It should be funnier than it is. It's not all that funny. Uh, and it never really works, and I felt like they should have addressed him not being able to do the same things he used to be able to do, but instead it like all this sets off because he 's on like a field trip with some of his students the, and then the students start getting like, "But I thought you said this was what never happened in the field, which would address the jokes that were made in the schoolroom scenes in the previous films. that would have worked so much better than what they did here. Thankfully, that character is not coming back for the next movie they 've said he is absolutely not in the next one, although I guess there is a son an other child character in it." I mean, the guy got around. I mean, it could be, a, you know, whatever. And we know that uh, um, Karen Black is appearing in it again as Marion Ravenwood, which is awesome because she's one of the things I like best about the fourth one is that she's in it the mm-hmm. full movie and she is an, such an awesome character. The first movie is all but unassailable with the exception of dated special effects to me. Right as Lost Ark I saw in the theater when it came out. It blew me away. It made me think I wanted to be an archaeologist until I found out that that was just about dust and shit off Hours on end in the hot sun, and not about avoiding cool traps and fighting French villains and Nazis. And they Very also
1: they also do a cool digital touch up on the Raiders of the Lost Ark that flip me out, which is that they go in and they erase the reflection of the glass in the snake scenes and the yeah. Raiders. Of the Always Lost Ark. has driven me crazy. And it's like, Always oh my god, it's it's so cool without the without the glass anymore.
0: That's the one error in that film that has always driven me up the wall. I'm like, come on, that can't be that hard to get rid of. It looks terrible for what should be a very tense scene. And yeah, they digitally got rid of the reflection of the the snake in the glass there. So you're like, oh, it looks real now. (laughs) Very happy about that. I mean... It's just a super fun movie. Everybody in it is great. There's, I can't think of anything bad to say. The 4K fix up of it is they, it looks like they spent the most time with that movie, which would surprise no one since that's generally thought of as the best film of the whole series correctly. <laughs> and it is, it's tremendously fun to rewatch. I've seen it probably, I don't even know how many times in my life, dozens, and I never get tired of seeing it.
1: I actually, I had not seen any of, any of the Indiana Jones movies and almost a cool decade until Mm. this set came out. So this was my excuse to sit down and be like, you know, I remember watching these movies and liking them a lot, but it's been so long. I don't know if I still do. Uh, they're awesome. I love them all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Temple of Doom, like we said, has a lot of super cringy stuff in it, like, uh, the racism and ex, and even more so the sexism with Kate Capshaw as like a screaming, memey, terrible woman with everything that misogynists like to complain about women brought into full front and center. She's only in it as near as I can tell because she was Spielberg's wife or is oh. Spielberg's wife, but like, She's not a really wildly great actress either. No, she's not. And she overplays it like crazy and she's just annoying as shit throughout the movie. It's my least favorite of all the films. And I mean, I like it less than Kingdom of the oh. Crystal Skull. Despite the big problems with that movie, this, these problems upset me more, especially her, but I love Short Round, who is awesome. His, his sidekick. I wish a grown up Short Round is showing up in the next one. I hope that would be terrific if they did that. Uh, and I, there's so many scenes that are just immensely fun, especially this has got one of the greatest scenes in the history of the movies, the rail car scene through the mine, which is super awesome and fun and badass.
1: Well, and they also bring in a lot more horror imagery and Temple of Doom than they do in the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, which just had that climax. And that horror work really plays well. Uh, anything that happens in the horribly racist indian temple um is actually really cool aside from being horribly racist and like sure. it, it works as hell i was watching it going i wonder how old my kids have to be to watch this movie and like having that conversation about race in my mind and then it got to the temple where the dude reaches into somebody's chest and pulls out his still beating heart and then they burn him in lava with and it was just like no 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 this is he's got to be like 10 for this no way yeah you're not ready <laughs> quite yet and
0: even 10 it's like he yeah. might be ready for it, but he might also start crying and have nightmares for weeks afterwards. And that's, so. a,
1: that's okay. I'm okay traumatizing my children.
0: Yeah, you know, whenever that, let's see. I was 14 years old when it came out, and I had nightmares for weeks about that movie because <laughs> of those scenes. Anyway, but it's still well worth watching. And I think Last Crusade is the second best of the, of the series easily, and it's really close to the first one. It is insanely fun. Sean Connery playing Harrison Ford's dad, who is a very different personality than his. It's just a terrific team up. They've got perfect father-son chemistry in this. Uh The jokes are really laugh-out-loud funny. The thing with the love interest is handled so wildly differently from the other movies entirely, where, you know, she, yeah, she turns out to be a bad guy, but not like the worst of all the possible versions of a bad guy she could be, despite being a Nazi. You're like, oh, well, she still kind of seems savable. But I love the fact that after he's, like, he'd hooked up with her, he's like, realizes oh shit my dad fucked her damn it (laughs) i was gonna comment
1: that is my favorite interchange in the entire franchise is both of them realizing that they both fucked her but the dad didn't give any secrets up
0: (laughs) right right (laughs) And this just got one great sequence after another one really funny sequence after another like anybody who shits on Last Crusade. I'm like, please go back and rewatch it because I, th- I think it's genuinely really, really tight as shit. It's,
1: it's like what you said, like, even at its worst, it's it's only bad in comparison to the other films in its franchise. If mm-hmm. you look at most in the other movies of their ilk. Even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or The Last Crusade or anything but Raiders of the Lost Ark because everyone has their own personal this is my worst. They're all great movies. They just have problems mm-hmm. more so than Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, yeah. and even I, I finally saw someone acknowledge why the great problem of Raiders of the Lost Ark isn't actually an issue and it is instead a feature, which is, you know, like Indiana Jones doesn't really need to exist in that movie everything ultimately would happen kind of the same way at the end but that ties into the theme of indiana jones finally respecting this eldritch unknowable power that you can't change and that Mm. will play out and is inevitable and i love that as a thematic reading of the movie and so i am here for it
0: yeah i i think all four of these are kind of essential watches in their own way just like You know what? You don't have to always be smarter than the movie. It's fine to sometimes go, yeah, it's got a lot of problems, but I still had fun with it. It's fine. Exactly. Don't, don't be the most cynical guy in the room. Nobody likes that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there are, I didn't mean to dismiss entirely the extra features because there's a shit ton of them here. They're just the previous extra features, but they're good. They're really, really good extra features, including two feature length documentaries about the making of this film that go into great detail that are filled with deleted sequences that a lot of which I had never seen before. uh, Lots of fun, just People fucking around behind the scenes footage, even on the original one, like somebody was filming everything. They must have known on some level, oh, this shit is good. People are going to like this because it's rare to have that much behind the scenes footage on a film this old. But there's a lot of it. And like, oh, that's so cool. So there's some extensive making of of every single one of these movies. And like I said, two of them about Raiders, lots of the stunts, the sound, the music, uh ILM stuff, the industrial light and magic, uh, stuff specifically about very specific effects in here. The American Film Institute tribute to the women of the series, uh, a thing about just his friends and enemies. There's a thing where they go into like the props, but it's mainly about the props from the last movie because that was an extra. Basically all the, if you got Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they, ported over all the extras that came with the original release of that. It is a super solid set. I just think there will be a better version of it eventually, but still it's not wildly expensive for four movies that are really well upgraded into 4K. And if you didn't already buy the Blu-ray set, which also looked pretty damn good, about as good as Blu-ray could at that point, then this is a pretty solid purchase for about 70 bucks for all four movies plus hours and hours and hours and hours of bonus features. But if I'm going to, I'm sorry, I know we're not going to agree this week on this, but I'm going to absolutely give best to Sana Sangre 4K because that is my pick of the week. Because not only is it a movie more people need to see, not only is it a spectacular upgrade to 4K, but it's got so many brand new bonus features that have never been seen anywhere else before or put on anything else before. And its packaging is just fantastic. That to me, that is the standout for this week. Actually, I agree with you. Santa Sangra
1: gets the, the much vaulted and heralded, uh, dual host approval for pick of the week. No, nice. it, it, it's a solid set. Like, I, I, Indiana Jones was competing with it because that is a good yeah. set. And admittedly, it was one I was even thinking of buying beforehand until I realized that they're actually filming the new one right now. Um, right. but no, it, it is this it's the best looking it has a great set of features and it also has the hallmark of being a movie that's way too underseen.
0: Yep. Agreed. Well, that's it. it for this week's digital noise. Thank you to Aaron for joining me. We have another one coming up relatively soon, introducing the newest member of the digital noise family. And I'll talk about that more when that episode comes out until then. Thanks. Keep watching all those movies. Let us know about what stuff you found, what little secrets you found out there, cool releases that maybe we didn't get to cover that are way worth like bringing up. And, you know, don't do it if it's just like, oh, it's a release of a movie that came out in theaters that's a generic release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. We know that it came out on Blu-ray. We didn't cover it because they didn't send it to us, but we did review the movie itself. I mean stuff like this Sound of Sangre one, like, man, have you ever heard of this cool movie that's fucking came out and this company, little company, put it out and it's got all these features. Tell us about that shit. I want to hear about that. Send us messages. Uh, and we will respond. But as for the show, this show, bye. Toodles.